The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. My guest today has enjoyed a successful and well-respected career in film and television for over 20 years. In the role of Hercules during the mid-90s, a made-for-television series, he established and earned well-respected recognition, leading to a record distribution across the world. Since then, his work as actor and producer has been consistent with back-to-back projects, both in television and film. His latest films, What If, Juliet X and Soul Searcher, have him working alongside actors including Christy Swanson, John Rasenberger, Dennis Quaid and Helen Hunt. All due for release in 2010. Off the set, he has become for many years a profound influence upon the lives of inner-city kids in the Los Angeles area. His passion to support and assurance in providing a secure future for young people has met with outstanding results, including a fundamental and powerful rise in successful graduation statistics, offering greater career opportunities ahead and ultimately improving chances of a normal and fulfilled life. His love of golf, through which many of these fundraising events occur, supplies short but satisfying bursts of relaxation away from the busy production schedules. A sport providing happy memories of his father and childhood in the town of Mound, Minnesota. He joins me today in the studio to celebrate these successes and his many plans for the future. Kevin Sorbo, welcome. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for being here. You uh, flew over from sunny California. It wasn't so sunny. That's <laughs> where weird weather, but it was it was actually it was interesting. I left Burbank. It was fifty degrees and raining, which we need the rain. And landed here it was hundred degrees and sunny, so it was a little bit of a difference. Is that the greenhouse gas clicking in there? Yes, of course it is. It's it's got to be global warming. <laughs> Thanks again for being here. Um, you, I sent you these notes, and I'm I'm very detailed with 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 my program notes and hope that it helped you. It did. I may have a few questions on it myself. I may, I may not understand exactly what you're asking me. Oh, you're I'm be, just a dumb actor. You you're going to be interviewing me. <laughs> I'd like to just go back to your childhood and, and look at uh, Mound, Minnesota and your memories of, of living there back in the good old Tonka days. The good old Tonka days. Um, Mound, Minnesota, it was, it's, it was a great place to grow up. My parents are both from uh, Iowa and uh, they, the, the, my first two older brothers were born uh, between the borders, basically, Minnesota and Iowa, and then they moved up just into the uh, this western suburb of Minneapolis called Mound, Minnesota. And the word mound actually comes um, from the Indians that lived in an area where, they, where they, they would bury their dead would be these mounds. So there were a lot of tribal areas that were off, off limits to people. You couldn't develop. You had to leave them alone. They're sacred grounds. But that's where the name mound came from. And we were on the beautiful shores of Lake Minnetonka. And Lake Minnetonka 
uh, that's where they got Tonka Toys from. And Tonka Toys was the main industry in my little hometown of 7,000 people. It probably employed about 1,500 of the 7,000 people living in that town. So I'm guessing that you had Tonka Toys. I had Tonka Toys. We did. I remember, I remember going there. I was maybe in second or third grade. We took a field trip and uh, got to walk through and watch how they made things. And I was just all wide-eyed. I thought, this is the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, you get your toys at the end of the day. But it was, uh, it was neat. It was it's sort of a, it's, everybody knows what Tonka Toys is for the most part. You know, and to have that come from your little town in, in the western suburb of Minneapolis was kind of neat. Do you still go back there? I go back every summer. I go back every, I'll be back there in August again, first week in August. I, I go back to play in the 3M Championship. It's the Champions Tour with, you know, Arnie Palmer, Fuzzy Zeller, and all those guys. And Where does this take you back to? When you're playing golf, I'm really interested. That must be a good downtime for you. Does that take you back to childhood years? You know, my dad. My dad was a uh, seventh and eighth grade uh, teacher, public schools, math and biology. And uh, in the summers, he worked at a golf course. You know, teacher salary, five kids. We can afford golf, but since he worked there, it was free because he works there. He ended up being the manager of the golf course. And so he said, come on out and play around. We said, well, why not? You know, we go out there and we'd be barefoot and whack the ball around. Well, my two older brothers and myself got pretty good at it. We ended up being on the high school golf team as we got older. And it became a very big love of mine. And my memories are, uh, you know, autumn days out on the course with my brothers and my dad, the long shadows coming from the sun setting and the smell of the air and the leaves turning colors. And I have to, you know, it, golf to me is just... You know, Mark Twain calls it a good walk spoiled, but, you know, I enjoy the walk, whether I'm playing bad or not. I, I can get frustrated, but I still love being out in the golf course. I can tell we're going to be talking about <laughs> golf for the most of this <laughs> I won't, program. I won't talk too much about golf, but people, fans who know me know that I enjoy my game of golf, even though it's not, I'm not playing too well right now. But anyway, um, I'm still very good friends with a lot of my high school buddies. We keep in touch all the time, sending emails back and forth, phone calls. We're all, we're all sort of like smart to each other, and it's just great because, you know, we, we, we're like brothers, and I've, I've known these guys since, you know, before kindergarten days. When did you leave? Uh, when I finished university, I, um, I, I, I left. I was done. You know, I, the one thing I don't miss in Minnesota are the winters. I got to tell you, it's five months of hell. It really is. You just, I was never that. I, I love the outdoors, but I was never, I didn't turn into a snow skier until later in life. And um, snowmobiling, yeah, whatever. Ice fishing, forget about it. You sit up there and freeze your tush off. I'm not interested. But it was a gr it's a great state. The people are wonderful. And uh, I, my ties are still there. You know, and, and I, the way I am today, the, the, you know, the, whatever my morals are, whatever my, uh, you know, my beliefs are, were, were formed in that, that little town. And it was, uh, and I thank my parents that I would, you know, that they moved there because it was, it was a fantastic place to grow up. It really was. What about high school? What's your memories of high school? Um, you know, nothing, I got great memories of high school. You know, I think that's why I still, I'm, I, I, I meet a lot of people that say they never keep in touch with the people from high school and I keep in touch with a lot of them. And when I, when I go back home, there'll be a good 25 or 30 of us getting together at a barbecue and usually it's at one, one buddy's house and, uh, you know, regaling old times. I mean, I played football, I played basketball, I played baseball, I was a golfer, I did all these different things in sports. Um, that was uh, very important. Sports were very big in, in my life. I'm one of four boys, and my sister's in the middle, but we were in a neighborhood filled with a bunch of kids, and we played, you know, we played sports all the time. It was just... It's it's funny. I remember through acting classes, which are acting classes really are like therapy classes for the most part. And uh, you know, you hear all these horrible childhoods people had, and I was just like going, you know, I had like this Norman Rockwell thing. I really did. I have great memories. I enjoyed school. I I, I, had, I had good teachers. I had great coaches. You know, I, I when I go back home, I will drive by my old high school and reminisce. I pull in the parking lot, I walk around, I check things out, and you know, go down memory lane. Did you think about going into acting in those days, in those early days? I mean, you clearly were very focused on on sport. Um, well, well, 
when I got my first year in college, uh, where I played basketball, and I remember I thought I was pretty good in high school, and then everybody in college was as good or better. So it's pretty kind of eye-opening. I thought I was a really good jock, and I was like, okay, I'm not that good. And um, But I was 11 years old, and I went to the Guthrie Theater for people in the theatrical world. They know what the Guthrie is. It's a pretty famous theater in Minneapolis. And it was uh, Shakespeare. It was The Merchant of Venice. And it just etched in my mind. And I made up that, that at that minute, I said, I'm going to be an actor at 11. I didn't tell anybody. Is that right? I didn't tell a soul because I, I know that my buddies would have made fun of me. <laughs> they would call me a sissy or whatever it was for wanting to go into acting. But I, 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 I secretly drove me nuts in high school to walk by the drama department and kind of peek in there. And all the good-looking girls were in drama class anyway, so I could use that as an excuse to go in there. But I just remember walking by and, and wishing... You know, that I had the balls, so to speak, to, to just, you know what, this is what I want to do. You what know? about university? What did you study at university? I was a double major at, um, I went to Moorhead State University up between uh, the Fargo, Moorhead, Red River divides those two cities between Fargo, North Dakota and Moorhead, Minnesota. And uh, I think I went up there because one of my older brothers went up to college up there, a private college called Concordia. And I, I just, you know, I think at that point is 250 miles away from home. I just wanted to... I wanted to be far enough away from home that I could feel like I was going to gain some independence in my life. Uh, not that my parents were holding me back anyway, but I just felt like, okay, now it's time to grow up and become a man, you know. But I was close enough to home that if I needed a five-hour drive, I could get back. And I had double major marketing and advertising, but when I got... Uh, when I got there, I started I started sneaking into some drama classes, sitting in the back row, and then uh, talking to the teachers. And they said, "Well, you should come in and you know check things out." So I started taking a few classes, but I I didn't really make the full move. I think there was the fear factor was high going into such a profession with that overwhelmingly odds you're not going to have any success in it. So what about the modeling? Because was the modeling then something that you took out of default because it wasn't so risky? No, the modeling. You know, people say you know you see these beautiful. Women say I fell in by accident. No, they didn't. They didn't fall in by accident. But I never looked at myself like as a model type of guy. You know, it's my, my height, my size. Certainly at that time was against me anyway. Being being a little over six three, most models between five ten and six feet back in those days. There's taller models now, but back then, if you weren't a forty regular, forget about it. it was a forty six long. So I was dating a girl that was a model. And she's the one who encouraged me to get some pictures taken and, and travel to Europe with her. She'd already been traveling. She'd been to Japan. She'd been to Europe. And she said, you know, why don't we give this a go? Just come with me and spend the summer in Europe with me when I finish school. So, uh, you know, I said, you know what? I'll go to Italy. Why not? You know, spend the summer there and I'll head back to L.A. I'll head to L.A. and pursue my, my acting dream. Um, I got to uh, Italy with her and three months turned into three and a half years. I just stayed. I, I lived in Munich. I lived in England. I lived in uh, Paris. Uh, it was. I have no regrets on. I didn't like the modeling profession per se because I thought it was incredibly boring. It was, wasn't much of a challenge. I mean, you go. You you, you still got to get picked for things. It's still a lot of rejection involved. But I just. I, I found it a very boring profession. I wanted. I wanted to go into. You know. I wanted to be an actor. But at the same time, I was making pretty good money and I was traveling and living in Europe. I thought it was pretty cool. What about your mother and father? How did they feel? Did you Did you ever say? Mum, Dad, this is what I want to do. I want to be an actor. <laughs> they, they, they knew. You know, that it was just, it was like one of these, it's like, you know, I want to be an actor, and that's nice, honey. You know, my dad was a teacher. He was a, he was a public school teacher in junior high, and uh, education was very important to him. Uh, my mom was a nurse, but she, by the time, you know, she had five kids, so she became, you know, full-time at home, you know, nursing us, basically. But um, I, when I told my dad I was going to do this, he... It wasn't like they were against me doing it, but there was no, oh, rah, 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 good luck doing it. He just said, you know, you're getting in a profession that's very difficult to make it in. You know that. And I said, yeah, I know. 
what about you know when I talk to people like Michael York, Sir Michael York, and it's an amazing、mm-hmm. man, and he said a lot of it at the end of the day is down to luck. Do you think? Do you do you think that's the case?、Um, I don't disagree with that. I think, that, but I think you have to make your own luck at the same time. I mean, there's there, it's it's timing, it's perseverance more than anything because you are rejected constantly. I mean, you're your own, you are your own product, and for people to say no to you all the time, I mean, that's where you get mostly no's.、Um, it wears on you after a while. But you know, I when I got out to L.A. when I finally when I finally moved out there,、um, oh, I have a little sidetrack here. So what happened is I I. I By the time I already had my SAG card, which was a nice card to already have, the Screen Actors Guild card. I was, I was already in that union, which is not a great union anyway. Did, was that difficult to get the SAG card? You know, it's it's weird. It's such a it's such a catch twenty two. It's it's they want to hire you, but you have to have your SAG card. Well, how do you get a SAG card? Well, you got to work. Well, then why can't I work? Well, you don't have a SAG card. Right. It's very strange. It's just a weird process, and even getting that takes a lot of luck and timing and people willing to. They call it Taft Hartley, I guess. The first go. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so strangely put together the whole process of how to get a card. But I I got mine while I was while I was going in university because I transferred to the University of Minnesota and Target. Cargill, 3M, Honeywell—you got all these major companies. Pillsbury, General Mills are based in Minneapolis. So they did a lot of the commercials there. Okay. So I already had that. That beast was already won before I moved out to LA, and I did. I shot like 50 commercials in my three and a half years in Europe. So I put together a really good commercial reel, sent it to LA. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know, didn't know a soul in LA, but I did a little research and I found like the five best commercial agents. So I sent my reel to all of them. They all accepted me. So it became like basically over the phone saying, "Okay, who do I like? Who do I want to sign with?" So I signed with this one and. They called me up when I was home at Christmas time because I was going to move out to L.A. maybe February or March. I was going to spend a couple months at home in the lovely Minnesota winter, and、uh, they called me and said, "Look, we got a client here, very interested in you. Can you come out right away?" First week in January, I was like, "That's like two months ahead of schedule." I said, Kevin, you're down last guys already, and just going off your tape. They don't normally just do that without meeting you in person. So I said, "Screw it." So I went down there and I booked it. Well, three days later, I was on a plane to Sydney, Australia, where I shot the commercial. While、well, I was there for ten days shooting, I said, "How long is my ticket good for?" They said, "It's good for a year." And I go,、uh, "Great, I'm staying." So I called and stayed for six months in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> so I basically spent four years <laughs> out of the country before I really went after the, the dream of being an actor. I should think you've been down that part of the world more than you've been here. Yes, I have. In New Zealand, yeah, seven years down in New Zealand. That's right. So wh- why did you come back? Why did I come back? <laughs> <laughs> Who would come back from, so, from you know, southern New Zealand?、Um, you know what happened? Well, the whole the whole、um, when I finally got to L.A. after after、uh, the Australian stint, I was very lucky. I worked a lot as a commercial actor. I would get guest spots and shows here and there, but I did very well commercially. I never had to bartend, never had to wait tables, never had to bounce any, any of that stuff, which ninety nine percent of the actors have to do. So I knocked on wood. I But a friend of mine before I left for California for Minnesota told me he said, "Remember, it's called show business, not show show." I always remember that. So when I got to acting classes, when I got, I, I would try to find the toughest acting classes to get into. I said, "I'm going to push myself on this." I had the least amount of credits any of these people have that I'm going up against, but I'm going to go in there and just improve my metal. And I was determined. I was really focused, and I, and I had the confidence that I was going to make it. I just always believed that I'm going to have success in this business, one way or the other. You. Obviously, you go down this road of small parts. You're in. Uh, uh, you, you're actually. I'm really interested that you went for Agent Mulder, and you didn't get it. That, that must have been. Is that disappointing? Well, well it, it's weird because leading up to that, it, it was it was a very definitive stepping stones leading up to that point, and that was、uh, the years of ninety two, ninety three, where 
I'd reached a place with myself that I stopped beating myself up because actors beat the hell out of themselves up all the time. I don't care what level they're at. I still beat myself up, but not like I used to, where you would read, a, read for a part and you get in your car and you're driving back home and you're in L.A. and you're just chewing on your steering wheel. You're so pissed off the way you, 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 know, you did. The, you, you know, Are I you still doing done. that now? Oh, yeah, well, I do it, but I don't do it as, nearly as much as I used to. And I, re- I reached a spot in 92 where I said, I'm just going to go in. The part is yours. If they don't pick you, it's their loss. And that became sort of my mantra. And I'd walk in, I'd read, and I was very honest, and I still very honest to this day that I will call my manager, call my agent after an audition, after a meeting, whatever it may be, and say, you know what, I sucked. Or you know what, I nailed it. And, uh, you know, and I've, I've got book parts where I thought I absolutely sucked. And I've lost jobs where I absolutely, there was just one recently for uh, CMT, which I nailed it. And, um, you know, didn't get the part. But, that's his business. There, that's where the luck comes in. What Michael York was talking yeah. about. That's where the yeah. luck comes in. It's it's strange. It's it's there's no rhyme or reason why some people get. And there's politics too. But know? it must be very difficult to be able to just get your mind to a place where you just let go, and it it, it will be what it will be. There there are some things that are very tough to let go. I I did when when um I know we're, we're jumping way ahead here, but we'll get back to it. I know we will. Um, when Andromeda finished, after my five-year run in Andromeda, uh, I got a pilot for ABC called Bobby Cannon. And they did 28 pilots for that fall of 2005. And what they do is they test market these around the country. They pick random cities. They bring people in. They got little control buttons, and they decide what they like or what they don't like about each one. Well, we ranked number one in every city. Steve McPherson, the president of ABC, decided not to pick up the show. And it was a half-hour comedy. It was very funny. It was written by Barry Kemp. Barry Kemp was the head writer on Taxi. He was created the New Heart series, and he created the Coach series with Craig T. Nelson. He's got a pretty good track record. Show didn't get picked up. To this day, I figure we should be just finished our fifth season, and I wouldn't be making Charlie Sheen's money. He's just got two, <laughs> two million an episode, but I think I'd be doing pretty well with it. So it, it kills you a little bit because it was really a very funny show, and it's so... In the, the timing is so perfect with the Brett Favre stuff because I was playing Bobby Cannon was a quarterback Brett Favre's type of age very huge career has done it all but he still doesn't want to leave the game and um, that's my character and he's a bit of a womanizer he's still single and it was it was a very very funny show and I, I'm still to this day I'm shocked I'll send you a copy this is the story of a time long ago the ancient gods were petty and cruel and they played mankind for their sport For centuries, the people had nowhere to turn, no one to look to for help, until he arrived. He was a man like no other. Hercules possessed a strength the world had never seen. A strength surpassed only by the power of his heart. Hercules, we we have to talk about Hercules, okay, as we go down through this huge schedule of events. Hercules was hugely distributed, hugely successful. It actually outdid Baywatch Baywatch yeah we passed Baywatch as the number one show in the world so you all of a sudden overnight you become globally recognized yeah as a human being how do you manage that you you have these knowing these productions you have massive hours you Mm. have huge hours um, back to back programs how do you deal with that huh because you're t- because you know, the amazing thing about Hercules is you're talking about uh, uh, something that went on for five years, seven years, seven years. which is amazing yeah. in itself. Yeah, well, it's funny when I I'm gonna jump back just for a second, really finish with the uh, with the Fox the the, uh, the Mulder thing on uh, X Files, because there were two shows back to back that I got down 
close to getting. That was one. The other one was I got down the last two guys for Lois and Clark with Dean Kane, And all those happened within about three months of each other. And I was very close on both of them. And I thought of the Dean Kane one for sure. When you lose those things, when you don't get them, it's, it is it is frustrating when you get that close. But then I got Hercules just not that far after that. And that show went for seven seasons. You know, Dean Cain's got canceled after three, so I figure I got the better end of the stick on that one. But, you know, when I got the part, it was an interesting audition process because I just figured, you know, I'm a big guy, but I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not 275 pounds of steroids. I go to the gym every day. I love to work out, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I've got a neck, you know, all kind of stuff. And when I went to the first audition, there were all kinds of body types. So I knew right then that they don't really know what they're looking for. Because there's everybody, you know, all shapes and sizes. They call me back again. They call me back again. They call me back again. They call me back. I got seven callbacks on this. And every time I go, what do you want me to do? No, we like what you're doing. I go, well, then why are you having me back here again? It's just, I got to a point that I was just like, you know, I don't care anymore. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And on the very last day is um, when they, they, they had me in front of They had all the studio guys there. And there's 30 people in this room. And I know I was down the last, you know, handful of guys. And they said, okay, would you mind taking your shirt off? I said, I know, I was in shape. I still, I've worked out my whole life, so I know I, I felt confident with my shirt off. And I think I sort of surprised them, because I'm actually, I look bigger with the clothes off. That's what I tell women anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where this conversation was going to. <laughs> but but um, uh, the first thing they said, they, were, they went, oh, like that. Oh, you see work out? I say I work out quite a bit. And they go, would you want to get bigger? And I said, well, you know what? I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll get up to 230 or something if you want me to. I think it was 220 at the time. I, I, I weighed between like 230 and 235 for the series. But I also have a hairy chest and a hairy stomach. So they asked if I would shave. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you wanted Hercules to be a man. <laughs> so I got a, some laughs. Some thought I was serious. But I ended up not shaving for the show. And um, I think the, the hours were brutal. But I think the focus I had, number one, I was in New Zealand. It was in Auckland, New Zealand where we shot it. And because I was away from everything Hollywood, I was away from friends, family, I was away from everybody, that became my life. That became my focus. And I knew this was a big break for me. You know, we started with five two-hour movies between 93 and 94. We shot that first. And I didn't have a problem putting in the hours. I mean, I was up at 4.30 every morning for seven years. This is my schedule. Up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, on set by 6. Um, I would do stretching and things in the morning. I would do, a workout wasn't for the evening, but I would stretch to work out because we, we had huge fight scenes. And then uh, in front of the camera by 7, 7.30, and we wrap around 7.30 or 8. I'd go straight to the gym for two hours a day, every day, and then get home and eat, study my lines, get to bed by midnight, get four and a half hours of sleep, get up and do it again. But, I mean, how long can you do that for before you start saying to yourself <sighs> uh, in the, the waves of insecurity that come over you, hang on a minute here, I've been doing this a long time, yeah. maybe I want to get into film. Is there something as an actor that suddenly you wake up one morning and say, hang on a minute here, I've got to take another risk, I've got to move on? Oh, certainly. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't complain about that show, though, because we had a blast. I, I wish they would have filmed the show behind the scenes of the show because I think you would have a very funny show watching our rehearsals watching the stuff we would say on set you know uh, it, it was that was my family when that series ended um, it ended because of me I mean I was offered another three year extension after the season seven but at that time I got offered uh, Major Roddenberry had called me Gene Roddenberry's widow, widow had called and said look I've got this show that my husband wrote back in 1969 called Andromeda and I think you'd be a perfect Captain Dylan Hunt would you like to see it and I said I'd love to see it and I was a big Star Trek fan so when I when I decided to move on to do that show, um, when we knew we were on our last season, we actually lost half of my crew during the last season of Hercules because they knew the show was done and they wanted to go on and work with Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings. 
which I can't blame them. I mean, it was a great opportunity for them to go work on that show. I just could imagine these all this crew just walking down the country lane and disappearing and leaving you there standing, standing in the middle <laughs> of the field. Work your own camera. <laughs> you know? Well, no, they had three years of work with, 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 with uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, so they weren't going to turn that down. But when we had the rap party, I remember we had, you know, 1,500 people in the room or something. I mean, I just broke down trying to say goodbye to everyone because it just all just this wave of emotion just hit me of seven years of my life were down there. And it was, a, it was a big part of my life. And, and the hours I kept were, were, were brutal. I mean, they were, they were tough. I mean, there was, I, I got, uh, during season, the end of season five, I got hit with an illness that just about uh, did me in. I got, I had an aneurysm. I left some clavicle that exploded, sending blood clots all over my body. And the doctor said, had I not gotten in the hospital, two minutes later, I'd be dead. Because they just pumped me full of Coumadin and heparin and all these blood thinners to, you know, break up all the clots. What did, what did that do to you? What, how did that change the way that you think? Uh, it certainly made me realize that there are more important things in life. I mean, I certainly enjoyed my show. I didn't take it so I took it seriously. But I didn't take it so seriously that was in a, you know that this is this has got to be the only thing I care about. But uh, yeah, it made it made a big difference on you know in how uh, I I was going to pace myself and how serious I was going to take other aspects of my life and realize you know what. I'm not Hercules. I'm just another guy that can, you know, die just as quickly as anybody else. And I, th- I think the stress of the job um, was hidden by the the fact that I was just sort of locked in this wheel. And I think sleeping four or five hours a night for up to that point through five five years is just not good for you. You got to get your body wants to sleep. And I think it was just a, a message, you know, God's way of saying time for you to slow down. But there's no difference between that and making a film, is there? I mean, it's it's just as demanding. Our being on a film our set. television is the <clears throat> hardest thing. There's not there's no film. There's no half hour comedy can touch what our TV is like, especially if you're the lead in it. You're 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 in all the time. It's brutal. I remember Joe Pesci when I told I've known Joe for years, and I told him I got a series. Hey, I'm doing the Hercules, so we one hour series. And he said, you're fricked. He didn't say frick, of course. But he said, <laughs> Ooh la la. But I mean, he's, he just said that your, your hours are going to be brutal on that show. And he was right. Cole the Conqueror. What, yeah. was, the, uh, what was the reasons behind that? Um, Did you like the script? Did you like the story? Did, I, what was it? Cole was, Cole was brought to me by Rafael De Laurentiis, who was the exec producer on the Conan series with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Cole uh, is the father of Conan. And... I, uh, Arnold actually held on to the script for many years, thinking that he would do Cull as well to play his own father. You know, and then he decided he didn't want to do it, and they brought it to me because it was 1996. Hercules was huge now, around the globe, and they looked at me and said, "Well, he'd be great for it because of his following." But they changed the script, which I wasn't happy about. I loved the original script much better than what they did do it. I think you know Universal Studios <laughs> was worried that they're going to sort of you know put off my fan base which was really families and stuff like that but i i said guys keep it the way it is i like the dark it was like an x with the with the sex and the violence in that it was a hardcore x and yes they would have to tame it down to get it to an r but you know they tamed it down so much they made it a pg i think they might might have been a pg-13 but um i don't think it was a pg i think it was a pg so at the end of the day what was the general uh conclusion to that piece i i think that it was a good a very good cable type TV movie. I, I think, as far you know, the number one they open on a horrible weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend, which is the worst weekend open movies on. It's it's kind of even Raffaella fought against that too. She said we can't open on that weekend because people are all summered out. They're, the movies are done. People aren't they're, they're not interested. 
the number one movie that week that opened the same week in his mind was I think G.I. Jane, the Demi Moore movie. The girls okay. in the well, that would pose a problem, wouldn't it? But 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 that was but her opening was half of what the previous opening from a movie earlier that summer had done, like a two weeks before. That weekend's just a bad weekend, and it was the weekend Princess Di died. And even I stayed home to watch all that stuff. I mean, it was obviously you no. Know, I was big big news. August ninety seven. Yeah. So it was just it was just a bad it was just a bad weekend to open it up on and uh, the you know it's done it's done okay I mean I know TNT airs it a lot I still get it was on the other day somebody called me and said hey, I just saw you, you know call on there I enjoyed it I think I think it's an entertaining fun movie I was disappointed that they didn't stick with the original script after that um, I'm really interested in this as you did a lot of voiceover voiceover to me that is a different set of methodologies is it not after you've been on the film set how did you approach that you know it's 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 a tough little frat to break into there's a group of guys that do every commercial for radio television cartoons and all that and if you go into their world they look at you and you go what the hell are you doing here you've got enough with tv or movies and stuff they don't they don't want you bugging into their world but it's that's changed completely i mean you, you recognize voices on the commercials today all the time I, I've come very close in some huge, huge campaigns. It's very frustrating we don't get them. Same type of thing. But, uh, you know, most recently I did a God of War 3, um, which the first two God of Wars did very well. And this one just came out recently. It's doing very well um, with Riptorn and Malcolm McDowell. And uh, I did another one called The Conduit. And um, I'm actually, I'm doing one next week. <laughs> <laughs> I am. And you don't know? <laughs> oh, it'll come to me. <laughs> um, but it, it's... it's uh, you know, it's. I, I I enjoy it. It's fun. It's a different. Talk about a different way of trying to act too, because they have a director in there with you. He's a, he's on the other side of the glass, and your voice at the end of the day is just wrecked. I mean, because they have you, they put you through these paces and stuff, and to try it this way, try it that way, more angry, more deeper, and you know, get, and it's it's interesting. And I still have a lot to learn from it. I mean, I've got a buddy who does very well in that world, and uh, he's been doing it for years. But you know, I'm I'm trying to break down that door. You love comedy. Yeah, I, I, do. I believe you love comedy. Yeah, uh, according to Jim, uh, a series like this, would you like to be involved in that more? I would. Well, like I said earlier with Bobby Cannon, that, that, would be, that was my comedy. I think the reason I even got an opportunity to ABC to do that was my guest spots on shows like that. You know, I had Two and a Half Men. Uh, I did a four-show arc on uh, Darman and Greg. And, you know, I, I, the shows actually had spikes in them that they noticed. So they said, well, Kevin's got an audience. He's got a following. So that's the whole reason why I was even offered the chance to do the ABC pilot. And it kills me not to do it. Because, you know, Hercules, you know, for as much as there was the, the moral values and whatever else we had involved in the show made people watch it, I think a lot of people watch it because of the comedy. We had a lot of one-liners in there that was just part of the show. Very different, though, is it not? If you're, mm. if you're shooting... If you're shooting Hercules, right. you don't have an audience. It's not as you you uh, the reaction that you would get if you were on the stage. So True. when you go into a multi-camera uh, environment, like according to Jim, and you've got yeah. the great George Meridian's deeping that stuff, how is it? That must be very different for you because now you're getting this feedback from from an audience. It is like um, doing a little play every week. It's wonderful. It is because you got an audience of you know two to three hundred people at whatever the size of studios that they fill up. You start on a Monday. And you're rehearsing all week, and by Friday, boom. I mean, it's it's a factory, but it's you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm always aware where cameras are. I put enough miles on the set. I know what I'm where I'm supposed to be and where the cameras are going to be. But they kind of go away, and 
it's funny once you get in that scene if you're really focused on the scene you, you actually forget about the audience too but initially yeah when you say something and you hear that laughter right now it you, you can't say you don't hear the laughter but you do have to get to a point as an actor where you just you discontinue okay so if you went back in time to right. Hercules and you took that methodology mm-hmm. how would you do it differently in Hercules now do it what with a live audience no how would you change the way you act the style how would you change your approach because you're going to be different right having gone through that oh there's no question there's no question if i uh, you know I've, I've, I've three little kids that are now discovering hercules they want to watch him and my wife put a few on for them and now they're they, they love them and then my little boy's eight and six years old they want to get to the fight scenes and they, they get into it and so i'll sit down and watch some of these episodes with them i haven't seen them in 10 12 years and it's weird because i know i'm looking i know that's me I was in the show, but and I remember I remember each episode. I can remember. Oh, I remember the episode, but specific scenes. I don't remember every every scene that I did. So I'm looking at me and going, "Well, that is me," but I have no recall of being in that scene. But I'll start critiquing my performance and realize that I could make this. I could have made that so much better just by the growth I've had as an actor to this point in my life. How does that feel? I, I'm thinking it's like a photographer or an, uh, an artist. Yeah. Are you very self-critical? Look, oh, looking, oh at back, looking back oh. at work from the past. Yeah, I'm very critical. I'm very critical of just something I just did a month ago. I mean, I'll, I'll look at it and go, ah, I could have done something better there. Well, because of a commercial perspective of that performance or because of your own mindset, your, your own acting ability? I just think a, a maturity setting. I think just growing as a person, as an adult, as an individual, just growing as an actor. You would hope that no matter what profession you're in in your life that you go, okay, I'm better today at my job than I was 10 years ago. I mean, you, you hope you do that. I mean, it'd be horrible to stay one level your whole life. I mean, you got to... What's the sense? Get a new job then. Do something different, you know? But your productions are back-to-back. What if? Can you tell me a bit about that uh, latest feature? That's the one. That's actually of... I've got six movies coming out, which I hope just keeps on going. Start another one next month. But What If is the first one coming out. It's a feature film starring Christy Swanson. She was original Buffy in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And John Ratzenberger, who most people... He's done, he's done a ton of stuff, besides he's in every Pixar movie. Um, he was Cliff on Cheers. He was the postman on Cheers. I've known uh, John a long time. Great guy. And What If is a... Uh, it's a movie that's... It's um, re- reverse... It's a wonderful life. It's a very, very nice, touching movie about a man that's in his, in his 20s... Uh, made the wrong choice, went down the wrong road, and 20 years have now passed. And uh, John Ratzenberger shows up as this crusty, curmudgeon angel to show him how much he screwed up his life. And it's a, it's a tearjerker. It's a very touching movie, and it'll be out August uh, 18th in theaters. How many productions have you worked on now in the last 12 months? Um, well, I shot, I've shot four movies in the last seven months, and uh, the other two i shot about a year ago that are finally coming out on sci-fi channel but um that's paradox and uh, flesh wounds was the name of that one but people can go to kevinsorbo.net and get all kinds of information i got a lot of stuff a lot of stuff coming up and i started another movie called the coffin and um i got a for for, for fans of the psychological thriller world i've got a 3d thriller coming out in november called julia x where i played a serial killer and who was uh, <laughs> was appearing in that I've heard about this. You really uh, enjoyed that role. It, it was fun. It was fun. Valerie Aslan plays opposite me. She plays Julia, and she plays my my victim. And um, I think people will get a 
would get a kick out of it. It was a different part for me to play, but it was it was it was fun. I really enjoyed it. But it's a movie. Certainly, I won't let my parents go see. <laughs> I got to do one occasionally like that. And what if? When does that come out again? What if comes out in uh, in August? We have the premiere August eighteenth in Chicago. But we shot that in Michigan, so I think we're having another premiere there. But um, it's got limited theatrical lease right now, but Sony Studios uh, really likes it, so we're hoping they grab a hold of it soon. I mean, do, uh, Avenging Angel. I'm, I'm, I'm at Avenging Angel now. This, yeah. this is a nice piece. My goodness me, you're going into the Western genre. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. Uh, I, I've been talking to you by email yesterday and yeah. mentioning Todd Allen over in Austin, and he really wants to get into Western, but mm. there's this insecurity that possibly Westerns are not commercially viable or, or of interest to a young generation. What's your perspective on that, given where we are as a country, and that possibly it's the Western and that story and that tradition that could actually empower people again to, to believe in this America and believe in this dream. There could be a lot of storylines in the West and that could drive that force. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's I, I think the Westerns have a it's a very strong backbone of American history and the culture of America, certainly out here, you know, where we are now in the West. And I I would love to see him come back. I don't understand I did two Westerns for Hallmark, and they both did very well. Avenging Angel was one of them. It ended up being their highest rated non holiday movie in the history of Hallmark, and they right away said we're gonna do a sequel. Well, six months goes by, a year goes by, a year and a half goes by, and they never did the sequel. And I kept, well, what's going on, guys? And they said, well, they're just not viable for us right now. And I said, well, you said that ranked so high. Why wouldn't you want to continue with it? I, you know, it just it comes down to marketing. I think, I think you know, Hollywood did a batch of Westerns not that long ago, over the last three, four years. And, you know, if you got a great story, I think, you know, it's, it's that whole good over evil triumph, and we're, you know, we're in a world right now that, that we want good to you know, triumph over evil because we got a lot of evil in the world right now, and there's a lot of bad things going on. And I think there's a, I, I think there's something outside of Brokeback Mountain. I think there's some sort of a, a you know, Hollywood's got to go after everything and, and change the whole formula of it's the last bastion of masculinity. They chuck it out the window, but you know, it's it's to me, it's like. Is is it a, is it a frustration? I mean, is it a frustration? You've got this huge contrast between the Hollywood mm -hmm. of the '40s and '50s, where everything is really designed around creativity, it's mm -hmm. designed around the the audience and the story structure. Mm -hmm. Now, it's really about the bean counters in the studios. Uh, the, the mafias, the, you mean the studios? The mafias? Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> I but, did. They, they but, know they're mafias. Come on. But but that, <laughs> let's that's, be honest about this. But that's what drives it. Yeah. And does that mean they'll hide the profits and everything? As you believe in Hollywood, Hollywood is in the business not to make money. They're just oh, we're just here to make you feel good and entertain. They go to their stockbroker and say record year, and then everybody else says, oh no, we can't afford to pay anything. We're we've lost so much money. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's a it's it's strange that there's um, that they're able to have free reign, but I think they have a lot of clout and a lot of uh, power in in Washington D.C. There's a lot of stuff going on there. I mean, I might be like this conspiracy theorist, but uh, there's something going on. I won't go down that road. <laughs> let's get into your famous... Come on, it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but let's get into your famous um, made-for-television programs, Lonesome Dove. These sorts of programs mm. which and, and those uh, narratives, hybrid documentaries, mm. they are very successful. Yeah. Would you like to see more of those series? Yeah, I think the public would too. I think a lot of people would. I, it's, you know, it's, it's weird. Hollywood is such a small... You know, blinders on, little their own little globe, and it, it's such a small percentage of people to decide what is going to be 
what the rest of the country or what's the, what, what, what the rest of the world gets to watch. Uh, you look at what fame is today, what celebrity is. I mean, you got guys from what Bachelor and these shows are on. They're on, they're on TV for three months and all of a sudden they're considered a celebrity and they've, they've, they, what have they done? They're a hand picked out of, you know, it's a, it's weird. It's strange what's going on. The only blessing out of, out of the whole reality stuff. Because most actors don't like the reality world, you know. You look at American Idol, there's a talent there at least. You get down the last 12 people, there's a real talent there. And so it's not like watching somebody bungee jump off some bridge eating a scorpion. I mean, there's something really is going on there that you can appreciate. What the, a lot of these people put so much hard work into getting where they are. They, they have. Carrie Underwood been singing since she was two years old. So to me, it's like, okay, that I can forgive and I can appreciate and enjoy. But some of these other shows, it's... It's weird, and the, like I said, the only blessing coming out of all this reality TV is that from HBO to Showtime to A&E to Spike, they're doing their own original one-hour programming now, and they're doing great stuff. They've opened the board, you know, they've opened the board up for writers to have a lot more creativity. They've they've opened the way for uh, more actors to work uh, because the networks certainly aren't doing it. What about series like Band of Brothers? I don't know why that comes to mind for me. But uh, I love you, that. I, I love I, that. I've I, got that on DVD. It was fantastic. You know, I had indicated to you that I'm doing this Letters from America series. So right. I'm, I'm charting, you know, I'm drawing this line in the sand and I'm charting the founding fathers and trying to figure out uh, the country that we live in today. So <laughs> well, then, I look at, then I look at these series and I look at the Band of Brothers. I look at Lonesome Dove. There's a lot to say for those series yeah. uh, as well as Westerns. Yeah. Um, is that not something that, that the studio should be focusing on? Is that part of their responsibility to bring back the notion of the American dream? Well, you know, I, you look at you look at the success of, say, The Blind Side, which is arguably a, a faith-based type of movie. It's got high morals. It's got a great story. It's got a you know triumph over tragedy, and Hollywood now has opened a number of all the studios have opened faith-based divisions of looking for movies with that sort of quality. I think begrudgingly they do. I mean, for whatever reasons, they like to put out so many more movies that just deal with, with you know bad things that happen in life. And bad things do happen. But I think people, especially what's going on in the world right now, they want to laugh. They want to be entertained. They want to see a, a, a more of a morally based story. They want to see a, a triumph over tragedy. They want uplifting stories. So they, they want heroes? I think they want heroes. Sure they do. Sure they do. People, they're looking for a more positive way to look at what's going on in their own lives. And I like to escape in television. I like to escape in movies. Why not? It's fun. That's why it's called entertainment. But at the same time, I think you can deliver, and they do deliver, a very solid and strong message uh, along with just being entertained. And I think uh, people pick up on that, and I think they take a lot home. Well, if that's the case, then how are you going to overcome the problem of the studios who are simply looking at the bottom line? Because that, that is actually well, countering this idea yeah, but of, the blinds- of looking at these important, uh, important elements of what America is about and what this mm-hmm. this world is about now. Because it's certainly entertainment and the media that's got to be the the, the greatest method of returning people back to very strong morals and mm-hmm. ethics. So, uh, is there a is there a concern there in your mind? Well, I think the blind side is. is- has proved that you know is hugely successful and made a lot of money for him. I think that's why they're looking at these smaller budget movies. I just finished a movie called Soul Surfer with Dennis Quaid and, and Helen Hunt and Carrie Underwood, by the way, speaking of her, and Anna Sophia Robb, and it's going to be out in theaters in November. And it is a faith based type of movie, and they did it on a on a lower budget. And Sony Studios loves it. They're going. They've. I think they've already committed to twenty seven hundred screens on. It's going to come out in November. It's based on the life of Bethany Hamilton, who six years ago was a uh, teen sensation that lost her arm to a tiger shark, and within weeks she was up surfing again. And right now she's still ranked one of the top surfers in the world. I mean, it is a wonderful, 
heartfelt story, and I think people will really enjoy it. How do you keep going with all these films, Kevin? You, because you're back-to-back. I know while we've been going back and forth bringing this together, it's like it's almost impossible to get hold of you, and it's impossible to get hold of me. But then I think about your schedules, and I think about mm. your hours. How do, you, how do you personally, inside, how do you manage that? I often think about Daniel Day-Lewis. He's mm. this incredible actor who yeah. absolutely switches off from everything... And everybody and how do you do it and then balance that act with family with those responsibilities well it's I get overwhelmed at times you really do I mean I'm not playing you know play me a little violin and play me a sad song it's just you know it's a life I chose and I I like to work I like to stay busy I started my own production company two years ago and I work very hard I'm on the computer a lot I'm on the phone a lot but you know I, I'll do it very early, early in the morning I still get up at 435 in the morning so I'll have two or three hours in the office before the kids wake up and uh, you know I, I take the two boys to school and I play with my daughter when 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 you know when she's not playing with my wife or she's not busy with something else and if, she, if I have that free time I'm back in my office again if I'm not working I spend at least six hours on the computer a day and on the phone it's crazy but you know I you have to, especially today, uh, the way it's set up in the studios, that you, you've got to do a lot of the work yourself to get yourself work. You just have to. But, I mean, yeah, you, you have to juggle a lot, and you, you can drive yourself absolutely crazy. And there are days that I go nuts. But I find an hour and a half every day to work out. And if I didn't have that hour and a half to work out every day, I think uh, I'd lose it. World Fit for Kids, uh, where are you with that foundation? Do you have really changed a lot of kids' lives? And I mm. think th- I'm reading into this perhaps but your father was connected with golf you love golf mm. that is where you raise a, a lot of these donations how's that all working for you but i understand it's phenomenally successful well they it's a it was called la fit for kids back in 1993 um by 95 96 hercules had reached this huge arc of success around the world were 175 countries i was getting inundated with fan mail and a lot of the fan mail coming in was dealing with charities as well and you know i wanted to attach myself to some sort of charity. But I wanted to work with kids. A lot of wonderful things out there from Make-A-Wish to, you know, children's hospitals. But I wanted to work with kids who were basically basically healthy but living in unhealthy environments because I grew up, you know, I really grew up in a nice environment. I had a little safety net from parents, the neighbors, the coaches, the teachers, the community. I had a lot of different safety nets for me to fall into to keep myself out of trouble. And kids today just don't have that safety net. So, uh they found me through their kids. The woman who runs um, uh, L.A. Fit for Kids, her name was Normandy Nye. And Normandy says, let's get an actor. Who should we get? And she goes, they all yelled, Kevin Sorbo. And she goes, who's that? She doesn't watch TV. <laughs> he plays Hercules. So she tracked down through agents and managers, found out that I lived in New Zealand, got a hold of me, told me about her program. And I instantly said, that's who I'm looking for. And we changed the name to a world fit for kids. And I've been part of it since the end of 96. And uh, we've grown to be quite large. Actually, two years ago, we got an award from Arnold Schwarzenegger. as the best after-school program in the state of California. And um, I work with over 12,000 kids. And we have a 98% graduation rate in a school district that has a 54% dropout rate. And uh, we got inundated after I won that award from around the country saying, what do you guys do? What is so special about your after-school mentoring program, fighting childhood obesity and working with grades and giving them activities that they want to be a dancer, they want to play basketball. We, we supply all these opportunities for them. 
on a very low budget because government the, the DC keeps cutting after school programs as they like they've cut out uh, uh, physical education programs and even down to the grade school level which is insane but that's another story we can get into and I, I ended up being the keynote speaker in front of 2,000 after school programs in Dallas last year talking about my program and that's when I said we need to kick off with a golf tournament to raise money and now we're on a second annual coming up June 10th and 11th can I get a plug for it right now sure a world fit for kids dot org slash golf come on out june 10th and 11th las vegas is coming up this quick. is in las vegas las vegas nevada you bet can you actually believe sometimes do you sit down in the evenings at home when you have downtime and mm-hmm. actually look back and do you actually think about these kids that you serve with this foundation and think about your own childhood think about life and sometimes say to yourself inside wow what an amazing life what an incredible evolvement to to get me to where I am today in such a terrifically competitive mm-hmm. career. Um, yeah, there are times when I just I, I I will will breathe in and just exhale slowly and think about all the things and all the different paths my life has taken me and where it could have taken me, and realize that I'm uh, I'm very lucky. And I think a lot of people have to. Um, no matter where they are in their life, they have to say a little grateful prayer, I think, you know. Be grateful they got a pillow. Be grateful they got hot water. Be grateful they got, uh, you know, a, a car. Be grateful they got a, a chair. I mean, we, we take a lot of things just for granted. And we, it's so easy to fall in that negative world and, you know, wish you had that, wish you had this. And you just, you don't take the time to appreciate things you have. And I look upon where I am in my life and I know a lot of it came from just simple hard work and that's something we're getting getting away from in this world certainly in this country where there's this weird self entitlement you know what you have to work hard you want something work hard for it I, I believe in following your dreams I believe in in never giving up on you know the goals in your life because yeah, small town kid in getting a seven year series becoming the most watched TV show in the world I mean who would have given me the odds to have any kind of success like that? I'm very, very fortunate. But doing what you do in L.A., are you concerned about the way things are going? You see all these kids. Uh, I well, certainly I, am. I'm very concerned. I'm I mean, very I, concerned, I, yeah. You know, I, I support uh, orphanages in Mexico, and I've seen some of them closed. I've seen some of these kids disappear. We don't know where they are. That's yeah. Mexico. But up here, I know that we have a really dreadful economy. It makes you wonder where kids today are going to find jobs, yeah. given that we're, we are really following where Europe went back in the 1970s. Yeah. Oh, there's no way. We're, 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 I mean, this, we're right down that same road. There's no question what's going on. How do you think that will change? It's going to have to change from, from, I think, from people like you and me. I think people talking about it, people getting say, you know what, we need, to, we need to get back to some of the basics in our lives. I mean, there's, there's, this, there's this strange movement that's been going on for years now where like I said, the self entitlement thing is very strange to me. It's it's a very it's a very strange to sit there and look at somebody who has success and say it's unfair he's successful. Well, every successful person I know had failure after failure after failure, but they use those failures to learn and to better themselves and to come up with a better idea the next go around. They didn't point fingers, they didn't blame somebody else. It's weird right now. We're just we're just we're basically saying take care of me. You know, it, this, this, there's a very strange fever of laziness uh, going across this country right now, that, which is which is sad to see happen. And it's 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 not it, it's been a slow boat. It's been happening for a long time now. But that's indicative of the way that Europe 
has gone in yeah. the last 20 years. Sure. That's got to be really frightening in this country. Was this country not created, developed by these pilgrims who traveled across the country mm-hmm. and it was do or die it was either it was, it was keep or going or killed yeah, by an arrow me. or whatever it was and that's still very much the way that this country is now how do yeah. we infuse that back into people's mindsets possibly with the use of media films uh, such as the films that you're producing the western genre creating heroes do we not need heroes back again we need heroes again there's no question we need heroes i mean uh, professional athletes there's so many that act like 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 just spoiled brats, spoiled children. But that's the result of the way of the upbringing, of the coddling, of the not you know. I mean, we when I was in school, I saw guys getting A's and B's for basically going in and turning the gym lights on and off every night. You know, that was that was their that, that's how they passed them in school. Uh, I remember reading some Kentucky basketball players suing their um, University of Kentucky for not giving him a proper education. He didn't want a proper education. You know, he wanted to be a professional athlete and he didn't make it. What is the short-term future here for you now? What are you going to be doing? I know that you've been working on um, these amazing productions. Dennis Quaid, great actor. Yeah. How, how did you enjoy that? Well, Dennis and I have known each other for a long time. It was the first time we've worked together. Um, once again, golf comes into our lives. He's an avid golfer as well. So I've played in his tournament a few times. He, he'll be coming to my tournament in June. And uh, Helen Hunt, I've met her a few times, had dinners with her and, you know, mutual friends. But this is the first time working with her as well, which was, uh, it was good. I mean, it was, it's, it's interesting to watch how each actor prepares and does their own thing. Do you think you'll go back into uh, made-for-television series? Do you think you'll go back to Hercules? Uh, I'm, too old. I'm too old for Hercules now. Um, I would I would love to go back. I, I'm looking for another series right now. I hope it happens. It's not as easy as everybody thinks. <laughs> if they think it's easy at all, um, but I'm I'm hoping that uh, that I, I I do believe there's another series down the road with my production company. I've got about four scripts that are amazing, and it's just gonna have to come down to timing because the toughest thing out there right now, whether it's a movie or whatever it may be in television. Financing and distribution are the toughest things to get right now. And it's tough to find spaces, whether it's in movie theaters or whether it's on a, on a network or a cable. Um, you know, they, they honestly, they don't know. They don't know what's going to be a hit. They really don't. I mean, I, I remember it was Eisner from, from Disney just talked about it. He said, you know, I, we just throw stuff up against the wall, and 97% of it's going to fall off. I mean, there's only, only 3% of shows that are actually, that are made of the 100% shows that are made, only 3% will make it to a fifth year. Not that many shows make it past the first week or the first year or the second year. It, it always seems amazing that you get these films made in the last couple of years and everybody, big budgets, and they yeah. say they're going to be the greatest, and they, they bulk, they fall. Yeah. That's just unbelievable. Why does that happen? It's <sighs> you, down to marketing, I know. It's down but to marketing, but, but sometimes they over-market these things because I, word of mouth is all still the most important thing. It really comes down to, to you and I and the people listening to this right now that actually go to the movies or watch television. They're the ones who certainly will ultimately decide if a movie is going to be a big hit or not. Television's a different beast. It's, it's weird to figure them out. There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of politics in, in, in Hollywood, and there's a lot of favors that have to be cashed in on. So you may have a better TV show, but they've already promised this guy that they're going to put his on, no matter what, what it is. And they shoot it, and it doesn't work. I mean, there's, there's, you know, they're tightening up their, you know, their purses a little bit too, but there's still a lot of waste going on in Hollywood. Last couple of minutes of the program. Greatest memories. Both personally and in film, and perhaps looking back at your childhood. Well, I'd say you know the greatest memories certainly uh, encompass what we talked about earlier was growing up in my little town. I mean, it's you know riding my bike to little league practice, um, 
you know, Friday night, football night, you know, you, you got the jersey on, you're making that long walk from the high school over to the football field, and you see the fans, you see the, hear the band playing and the music and the crisp air of an you know, October fall night. Uh, the, you know, out there smashing heads with your buddies and having a good time, and, um, college days. And I, I think the best memory for me professionally was not getting a series like Hercules. It was, it was the road to get there. The, all the rejection, all the failure, all the frustration, all that stuff that I used as fuel to my fire and my passion to make it in this industry, not point fingers, not blame somebody else, not go woe is me, but use it as a way to get to where I knew I was going to get one day. And I always believed, as I said, that I was going to have success in this business. I had to believe it. Because of your role in Hercules, you're certainly seen as a hero. And, then and that's a serious comment you are seen as a hero not only for that role but also with what you do with these kids hmm. are you are you proud of that position you know i'm very proud of it when you just when just when you said that it reminded me of a time i was you know i do these autograph signings around the world i do two or three a year and i travel and i was at one back during the hercules years back it was like 96 or 97 and it was a four-year-old little girl beautiful little girl it's weird to think she's you know 18 or 20 now but she was four years old and I picked her up and um, sat on this counter because I had a counter between me and the fans I was signing autographs. And she gave me a little kiss on the cheek and she says, you're my hero. And it really hit a tone with me. And right after that was a 94-year-old mother, grandmother, who grabs my cheek <laughs> and says, us older, older people think you're a fox too. <laughs> so I had four years old at 94 years old. And it was just, it was just such a strange dichotomy, but it was just so cool at the same time. And... I wanted to be an actor because I wanted to touch people. I wanted to send a positive message. I wanted to be a, a role model for kids. I wanted to be someone that people would want to hang out with and think he's a cool guy or whatever. You know, I mean, I wanted to be able to touch people's lives the way actors, movies, television, whatever, touched me through the years. I wanted to make people have that same sort of roller coaster up and down. Kevin Sorber, it's been a great pleasure. And uh, thank you for coming to the studio today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And to our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this program as much as we have. You can visit davidgibbons.org for information on any uh, program in the series. And I'm sure that Kevin would be happy to uh, respond to any comments that you have on our blog feature. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.